Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly funded by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr Louise Kugler, a General Practitioner, and today I have the pleasure of talking to Dr Russ Harris about The Happiness Trap. Russ is an international best-selling author of a self-help book titled The Happiness Trap. He is a world expert in acceptance and commitment therapy. Welcome Russ. Thank you for having me. Russ, you started your career as a GP and now are a published author and work as a therapist and trainer. Tell us about your journey. Yeah, well, so look, I was as the youngest of six kids. My dad was a doctor. We were all kind of brainwashed into doing medicine. And, uh, you know, when I was born, the, the midwife held me up and said, oh, it's a medical student, you know. And what I found was when I kind of actually started practicing as a GP, I, I didn't. I was very interested in the psychology of health and well-being, and not really that interested in the physical aspects. And that kind of uh, grew and grew with uh, every passing year as a GP. My consultations got longer and longer and longer, and I found that I was, you know, averaging 20, 25, 30 minutes, and most of that was looking at the psychological aspects of health, and then there'd be this kind of mad three-minute dash to write a prescription if necessary at the end of that. And I, it, it took me a, you know, a few years as a GP before I kind of realized I was actually in the wrong profession, um, and I didn't want to become a psychiatrist, and a, I wasn't ready to become a psychologist, but I was so interested in this psychology of health and well-being. And um, so I just started uh, training as a therapist, and. Um, gradually shifting, which took me a, a fair few years. I, well, I remember like the last year I was holding on to doing one GP shift for three hours a month because if I let go of this, what am I? I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a, a GP, what am I? No one ever asked me what I am, you know. So <laughs> just kind of therapist, coach, and, uh, you know, I uh, kind of, but I, I was very interested in mindfulness. Um, now, back then, uh, we're talking, you know, the early 90s, no one really knew what mindfulness was, and it was very uh, uh, difficult to introduce mindfulness as a GP because the only real way you could do that was meditation, and most people are not really particularly interested in meditating. Um, uh, the first model of therapy I trained in was CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, which I liked and found useful. However, I thought there were things missing from it. Um, I found that challenging and fighting and disputing my own thoughts was not really very effective for me. Uh, I wanted to bring in this mindfulness stuff. Uh, I'd become very interested in Viktor Frankl's work and uh, uh, you know, uh, his book, Man's Search for Meaning, about kind of finding meaning and purpose even in the midst of Auschwitz concentration camp and the difference that made to your life. And so when I discovered acceptance and commitment therapy, it had all of those things in one. I was like, wow, this is amazing. It's got values, meaning, purpose, spirituality. It's got all the pragmatic behavioral stuff of CBT. It's got mindfulness, but you don't have to meditate to learn this mindfulness stuff. It's got compassion. It was So it really was love at first sight. And, um, you know, um, I immediately, having read the original textbook, we were talking uh, 2003 now, I, uh, I flew to the USA to train with um, the creators of, uh, for short, it's called ACT, 
um, and uh, uh, I brought it back to Australia and I was you know lucky I guess that at that time there weren't really any books around on the approach so I wrote one of the first books and it took off you know so um, I was I was lucky I got in at the right time and the book's called The Happiness Trap because popular myths about happiness will make you miserable if you live your life based on them they will trap you and actually make you more miserable. Tell us more about the happiness trap, Ralph. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the three most common happiness traps that people get caught up in, one is the idea that um, happiness is the natural state for humans, that if you just have enough food and water and shelter and a good social network, you're just naturally going to be happy. And, uh, and so if you're not feeling happy, then there's something wrong with you. Um, and of course, this is not the case. The, the natural state for humans is, you know, in the ACT approach, we often thought that emotions are like the weather. We expect your emotions to be changing all the time. You know, the, the natural state for Auckland is not a warm, sunny day, you know. <laughs> but it's completely natural when it's cold and wet. Uh, and so we expect to feel sadness and anger. And, you know, one of the, the key messages in ACT is if you're going to live a full human life, you're going to feel the full range of human emotions which ties into the, 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 another big happiness trap, which is defining happiness as feeling good. Um, so in Australia, the, the big dictionary is called the Macquarie Dictionary, and the number one definition of happiness in that dictionary is a state of pleasure or contentment. And that's what most people mean. Uh, they think it means happiness means feeling good or a good feeling or a feeling of pleasure and contentment. And if you, you think of the happiest day of your life, you know, how long did a, a state of pleasure or contentment last before there was some frustration or irritation or disappointment? So if that's your notion of happiness, then there's, um, there's no such thing as lasting happiness. So in the ACT approach, we don't use the word happiness. We use the term uh, a rich and meaningful life or living a full life or the term vitality, a sense of uh, living this moment to the full. If we were to define it, we would define it as living a rich, full and meaningful life in which you feel the full range of emotions, both the painful ones and the pleasant ones. And if that definition of happiness, then there is such a thing as lasting happiness, but that's obviously very different to the, the feeling good idea. And the third big happiness trap um, really just builds on top of the other two, that if you're not happy, you're defective. There is something wrong with you. Don't worry, be happy, think positive, feel good. And if you're not feeling good, and it, there is something wrong with you. And you, you, many of your listeners will be familiar with the DSM, uh, now in its fifth edition, which has almost 400 conditions in it. But in the first edition, back in the 1950s, there were only 70 disorders, you know, and they just keep more and more ways of pathologizing the human condition. And, you know, the, the reality is, uh, and certainly from the ACT approach, we start by acknowledging that life is difficult. Life is hard. Uh, the things that make life rich, full and meaningful don't just come with good feelings. So Russ, acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, is a useful tool for GPs. 
to use for behavioural change. Can you tell us a little bit more about ACT for those people who aren't familiar with it? In layman's terms, uh, being present, opening up and doing what matters. So being present, uh, engaging in life, being present, focused on, on what's important. That's incredibly hard for humans to do. We're distracted, we're disengaged, our attention wanders away from what we're doing. And the more challenging the situation and the more difficult the thoughts and feelings that are showing up for us, the harder it is to focus and be present and, and be engaged. And so we, we see lots of clients are just kind of, they're getting very little life satisfaction because they're not, pre you can't enjoy or find fulfillment from doing stuff if you're not present, if you're not actually psychologically present to um, appreciate it or you can't do a task well if you can't focus on it. Uh, so kind of being present. Um, opening up, uh, opening up to our inner experience, you know, the life, e even the most as we've just been talking about, wonderful relationships come with difficult thoughts and feelings. And we're not really very good at learning how to open up and make room for our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our memories. We can open up and make room for them if they're pleasant, but if they're uncomfortable, we try to push them away, we try to get rid of them. And the, the technical name for that is experiential avoidance, the ongoing attempt to avoid and get rid of unwanted thoughts, feelings, emotions, and memories. And what the research shows very clearly, uh, you know, is that the higher your level of experiential avoidance in life, the greater your risk of uh, DSM disorder. High levels of experiential avoidance directly correlate with depression, anxiety, addiction, uh, all manner of DSM disorders, long-term disability from any type of illness or injury, uh, risk of developing PTSD after a traumatic event, and, and the list goes on and on and on. So we're, we're all a little bit experiential avoidant, you know, like, I don't know anybody that just loves painful thoughts and feelings, but high levels of experiential avoidance create massive problems. And so so uh, opening up, learning how to open up and make room for our difficult thoughts and feelings, learning how to let them flow through us without fighting them, without running away from them, without getting swept away by them. We learn how to kind of step out of the battle with them, learn how to make room for them, let them flow through us. So that's opening up and uh, doing what matters. Uh, so this means letting your values guide you. So this, this whole ACT approach rests on a foundation of clarifying your values, your heart's deepest desires for how you want to behave as a human being, how you want to treat yourself, how you want to treat others, how you want to treat the world around you. You know, when you look back from your deathbed at the life you lived, what do you want to say about that life, about what you stood for, about the way you treated the people you love? And using those values as a compass, uh, a compass to guide you, a compass to guide your actions. Um, so kind of acting effectively guided by your values, behaving like the sort of person you really want to be, doing the, the things that take you towards the life you want. And so really this is what we teach people to do, how to be present, engage in life, focus, pay attention, uh, engage in what you're doing, how to open up and make room for difficult inner experience and how to do what matters, act in line with your values, um, which is why it's called acceptance and commitment therapy. So accept what's out of your personal control. A lot of difficult thoughts and feelings are, are not under your control and commit to action that improves your life, kind of guided by your values.
Sounds relatively simple, Russ. <laughs> well, it's simple to summarize, but it's uh, like anything. It's, you know, if I gave you a summary of what skiing is, you know, you wouldn't be able to go out and ski, would you? You know, it's, uh, so, you know, the, this involves learning skills that are new for most people. Um, the good news is, though, that these are skills that can be learned relatively quickly. Uh, any one of these skills being present, opening up or doing what matters. You can, in a 15-minute session, you can learn one aspect of that skill. And if you get to see a, a client or patient two or three or four times, then you can give them a little piece each time and gradually build that up. So, um, you know, what the research shows, I mean, there's over a thousand published studies on, on ACT now. Uh, the research shows that even a small amount of learning these skills can make a pretty significant difference. Um, for example, 2002 or three, uh, Stephen Hayes and Patty Bark uh, published a study which was uh, on ACT for psychosis. And uh, these were people with severe psychosis that were in and out of hospital all the time. Uh, the control group had treatment as usual, um, which, at a, uh, which included medication. The ACT group had treatment as usual, plus four hours of ACT. Now that four hours of ACT predominantly focused on values, you know, life's dumped this debilitating illness on your doorstep. What are you gonna stand for in the face of this? What are you, you know, life doesn't stop because you got this diagnosis. What sort of person do you wanna be? How do you wanna treat your body, your health, your friends, your family, your job? You know, what do you wanna live by in the face of this? Uh, and a, a lot of acceptance, kind of learning how to make, obviously this is a scary diagnosis, lots of life difficulties, lots of painful feelings, learning how to open up and make room for that, uh, learning how to be present even in the presence of hallucinations, how to engage and be present and focus on what you're doing even if there are voices in your head, how to kind of let those voices play on like a radio in the background, that was a, a kind of strategy they used a lot, you, you know, there's a radio playing in the background, but you don't have to do what the radio tells you to do and how to engage in life. And the results were pretty dramatic. Uh, just from four hours of ACT, the hospital, the rehospitalization rate was reduced by 50%. Wow. So, um, you know, it, uh, it, it can be very powerful. Talking about pain, Russ, how can ACT help our patients deal with perhaps chronic pain? Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously, um, patients and clients go to their, their doctors and their therapists with wanting pain relief. And in most models, uh, pain relief comes from trying to avoid the pain or get rid of the pain or distract from the pain. In ACT, uh, pain relief comes from changing the way you respond to the pain, uh, learning how to drop the struggle with it, learning how to make room for it, learning how to step out of the battle with it and make peace with it, learning how to let the pain flow through you without fighting with it or running from it. Um, and uh, it, it's interesting, there's actually, you know, chronic pain syndrome, there's more indications for, that there's more published studies on active chronic pain syndrome than for any other condition. Um, although with any DSM disorder, we're dealing with pain, whether it's psychological, emotional, or physical, it, it's pain. And we just, we, you know, our, our default setting when pain shows up is because it's unpleasant, let's fight it or run from it. It triggers a fight or flight response within us. Uh, whereas in ACT, we teach people how to open up 
and make room for their pain. Stop fighting, stop running. Uh, now, the name, the acceptance, is a term that's misunderstood by just about everyone. So I avoid the term acceptance as much as possible. You know, in my book, The Happiness Tramp, I use the term expansion, uh, this idea of opening up, expanding, making room for the pain. And it's really interesting when people actually learn how to drop the struggle, open up, make room for their pain, let it be there without fighting it. Um, then they have a lot more energy to put into living their values and taking action. It's also a lot easier to engage in what you're doing when you're not busy fighting with or running from the pain inside you. So there was a really dramatic study on this um, published in 2009 by Richard Vixell, who's a Swedish psychologist. And it was a very tight randomized control trial of ACT versus treatment as usual for chronic pain syndrome in adolescents. And the control group had treatment as usual at a top pain clinic in Sweden. They had 30 hours of treatment uh, following conventional medical and psychological models where pain is seen as the problem. So the solution is to avoid the pain or distract from the pain or reduce the pain. So they, had, um, they were all given medication in the control group, analgesic medication, and lots of uh, strategies around trying to reduce pain. Now the ACT group, to make it really dramatic, only had 10 hours of therapy as opposed to 30. In the ACT group, there was no medication. In the ACT group, there was no attempt to reduce pain or distract from pain. It started uh, with values work. Uh, now, you wouldn't use the word values with teenagers. They'll run out of the room screaming. Uh, so they kind of put values into teenage language. Tell us about being yourself, being who you want to be. Tell us about living life your way. Tell us about cool things that you want to do. So if pain wasn't running your life, what would you be doing differently? Oh, you'd be hanging out with your mates. Oh, you'd be going to parties. Oh, you'd be studying half your exams. Oh, you'd be playing sport. Oh, you'd be hanging out with your girlfriend. Oh, you'd be going to school, you know. That's what you want your life to be like. You know, how about we get you doing that? Oh, I can't do that because there's all this pain here. Okay, we're going to teach you some skills to kind of unhook from this pain to kind of, uh, so it doesn't jerk you around anymore. We're going to teach you how to kind of open up and let this pain flow through you so that you can get out there and do the things you want to do. Um, and so then they went on to kind of teach these mindfulness skills and uh, kind of technical names now, kind of diffusion skills, a way of kind of unhooking from difficult thoughts and letting them float on by and acceptance skills, learning how to open up and make room for difficult sensations in the body uh, and, and all of this, what I would call opening up. Um, so that they could then do what matters, live their values, and be present and focus and engage in what they're doing. Uh, the results were astonishing. At six-month follow-up, the ACT group had significantly lower pain levels than the control group, even though there was no attempt to reduce pain, no medication, no attempt to distract from it. Not only did they have significantly lower pain levels, but they had uh, much higher functioning and significantly less fear of pain itself. So this made ripples in the world of pain management, got written up in the, the top journal of pain management in the world, which is called Pain. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, and shortly thereafter, it got written up in Time magazine because it was such a radical paradigm shift. Um, and so th this is what ACT is. It's a, it's a very big paradigm shift, but it's very liberating because obviously as a GP, you know, uh, doctors know very well that often clients the pain doesn't go away and they get more and more medicated and uh, more and more operations and 
I, I don't know if you still use the term. Back in my day, we used to talk about heart sync patients. Is that, uh, you know, uh, uh, non-medical folks listening to this? It's a terrible term, but it kind of, it's the sinking heart that a doctor has when this client comes or patient comes through the door and they've been through the mill and they've had so many operations and all of this medication and their life's getting worse and they're not responding. So we need to do something different, stop fighting the pain, stop running from it and learn a different way. Um, but this is also what we do with depression and anxiety. You find the same patterns. People are trying to avoid their pain. Their, you know, if you think about it, an anxiety disorder, we shouldn't call them anxiety disorders because anxiety is a normal human emotion that everyone has. It, uh, it, it's what you expect to feel in a challenging situation with an uncertain outcome. What creates an anxiety disorder is not anxiety, but a life lived on trying to avoid anxiety. I don't like anxiety, so I take drugs, I take alcohol, I avoid the people and the places and the situations that make me anxious. My life gets smaller and smaller. Um, and, uh, you, know, you know, if you take something like panic attacks, I, I'm so scared of my own anxiety that any sensation in my body that shows up, a racing heart or not in my stomach, even if it's got nothing to do with anxiety, even if it's just from drinking a, a cup of coffee or it's a hot day, my heart's racing, so, oh no, here's anxiety. Uh, I, I hate this feeling and now I've got anxiety about my anxiety. Oh no, it's getting bigger, it's getting bigger, now I've got more anxiety, oh, you know, and, and now we get the panic attack happening. But if I can learn how to just open up, here's anxiety, here's a racing heart, here's knots in my stomach, here's tightness in my chest, here's my mind telling me scary stories, and I learn how to open up and make room for that stuff, I learn how to be present, I often talk about dropping an anchor in the midst of an emotional storm. There's an emotional storm here and I'm being swept away by it. The first thing I need to do is drop an anchor. Now, the, the anchor doesn't get rid of the storm, but the anchor holds me steady, you know. And if, uh, if your listeners are, uh, are not driving a car or operating heavy machinery at this point, then I'll encourage them to just do this little exercise in dropping an anchor. So first of all, just kind of um, push your feet into the floor, and straighten your back and let your shoulders drop. And just take a moment to notice what thoughts are showing up for you and notice what feelings are showing up for you. And Hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, there's nothing too dramatic going on, but um, I would be asking the same questions if there was intense fear or anger or anxiety. Just notice the thoughts and feelings that are showing up for you right now. And come back into your body. Move your feet, move your arms, straighten your back, push your feet into the floor. Um, gently push your fingertips together and kind of uh, move your shoulders, move your arms, uh, kind of get a sense of your whole body. So there's thoughts and feelings here. And there's a body around these thoughts and feelings. And then, you know, wherever you are right now, look around the room and notice what you can see and notice what you can hear and notice where you are and what you're doing. So there's thoughts and feelings showing up and you've got a body that you're in control of and there's a room around you and you can now do stuff. You're kind of present and you're open and there's you can now do what matters. Well, obviously, in this moment, it's finishing off listening to the podcast, but later. <laughs> Not crashing your car in the Auckland traffic. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, you know, that's just a very simple exercise. And, uh, you know, obviously, if, if your client has got a lot of anxiety or anger or other stuff, then it's going to take a bit longer to do that. But, but what you're teaching there is a basic grounding skill or centering skill, if you like, and it 
helps people switch off automatic pilot and start engaging and starts to give them back some control over their actions so they can act more effectively. And you know, that's pretty much um, you know, the first step that I would use with any client who is dissociative or overwhelmed or having a panic attack or really uh, struggling with any difficult private experience. Just learning how to come back, get present, come into your body, take control of your actions and engage in what you're doing. <clears throat> So, okay, you know, I've dropped an anchor in the midst of the emotional storm. Uh, I, I say to clients, you know, anchors don't make storms go away. This isn't a way to escape your thoughts and feelings. They just hold you steady. Why? What's the point? Well, the point is so that you can now do something life-enhancing, something that really matters. So we need to know a bit about your values. You know, what do you actually want to do in the in the face of this challenge, whatever it is that's triggering all this difficult thoughts and feelings for you. Uh, so we, we want to spend a little bit of time helping people get in touch with their values. You know, it doesn't take a long time with most people to identify values, being there, being available, loving, calm, and so forth. And so then, okay, well, you know, now that I've dropped an anchor, what are some ways that I can live those values? What are some little things that I can start saying and doing that kind of help me to do that? So uh, language that we, well, I, I find very useful to use in ACT is the idea of towards and away moves. So I kind of, I say to clients, you know, all day long, uh, we're doing stuff. They call us human beings, but really they should call us human doings because you're always doing stuff. Even if you're lying in bed fast asleep, that's doing something. That's called sleeping. You know, even if you're staring at a wall, that's doing something. And everything we do, you and me and everyone on the planet, all day long, we can classify into towards moves or away moves. So towards moves are stuff we do, behaving like the person we want to be, living our values, doing the effective stuff that helps us to build the life we want, takes us towards the life we want. And away moves are the opposite. They're the stuff that we do all day long where we're not behaving like the person we want to be, where we're not doing the stuff we want to do. Now. The situations that we're in change all day long and the thoughts and feelings that show up for us change all day long. And when we're in not particularly challenging situations, when our thoughts and feelings are not particularly difficult, it's kind of easy for us to choose the towards moves. You know, when you're on holiday and the kids are well behaved and your health is good and you've got no issues, it's kind of easy to choose towards moves. But the more challenging the situation and the more difficult the thoughts and feelings that show up, the harder it gets. Uh, and in really challenging situations when there's really difficult thoughts and feelings, the default setting for us is that we get hooked. We get hooked by those thoughts and feelings. What I mean by hooked is they jerk us around. They pull us into self-defeating patterns of behavior. And when we're hooked by those thoughts and feelings, that's when we start doing those away moves. You know? And so our aim in this ACT approach is we want to learn some unhooking skills. We want to learn how to unhook from those thoughts and feelings. So, and we want to know what our values are so that we can choose to do those towards moves. And so what we're really trying to do is empower people. You know, life is going to involve lots of challenging situations. Life is going to involve lots of difficult thoughts and feelings. Um, but we can get better and better at hooking from the thoughts and feelings and choosing to live our values in the face of those challenging situations. Um, and the technical name for that 
is psychological flexibility. To be in the present moment right here, right now, to open up to your experience, make room for all the thoughts and feelings that are showing up, and to do what matters, to act effectively, guided by your values. And that's the outcome we're looking for in the ACT approach. And the higher your level of psychological flexibility, the greater your level of well-being. Uh, it's protective against and facilitates recovery from all manner of DSM disorders. So it's, it's relevant to all of us. Yeah. So Russ, we've talked about lots of things which have been fascinating. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit more about the opening up stuff? How do we get our patients to do that? What are some skills and techniques that we can use on a Monday morning to, to get our patients yeah. to open up? Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, if we, uh, if we think about, the again, these three overarching principles of be present, open up, doing what matters, it's, it's usually easiest to kind of teach people the being present stuff first, which is, you know, the drop. The, I mean, there's many ways of doing it, but this dropping anchor stuff, coming back into your body, engaging is a very simple way. Uh, and then... Uh, you know, after that, it, it, just a little bit of values clarification uh, is is usually the next thing that you kind of bring in. Um, even if you're just wanting to motivate clients to exercise more or to take their medication or to change their lifestyle, it's going to be far more motivating if they do it from values than because my doctor told me to do it or because I want my blood pressure to come down. It's hugely and far more likely to exercise and eat well if I love my grandkids and I really want to be there for my grandkids and I want to be that kind of loving, involved grandmother or grandfather that plays with the kids. And oh, okay, so in the service of that, I'm going to exercise and eat and do the stuff I need to do to lower my blood pressure. Um, and so usually those kind of aspects would come in first, the being present and the doing what matters and then the opening up. Um, it's like because what's my motivation for dropping the struggle with my pain, for accepting the pain? There needs to be some motivation there. It's like it's unpleasant. Why would I, why would I bother to accept painful thoughts and feelings? Um, so if your client is or your patient is really stuck in experiential avoidance mode. I really hate these thoughts, feelings, emotions, sensations, and all I want to do is get rid of them. You've got no chance of getting to opening up. You've got to do something that in the ACT model uh, has got an unfortunate name. It's called creative hopelessness. Um, not a name that you would use with clients, but it's a textbook term. And what we try to do is create a sense of hopelessness in this agenda of avoiding pain and this agenda of controlling how I feel. And what we would do for those clients is kind of have a look at, let's have a look at all the things you try doing to avoid and get rid of this pain. You know, uh, if we come back to chronic pain syndrome, you've had operations, you've taken medication, you've seen 10 different types of alternative practitioner, you've seen 10 different doctors, you know, and lots of these things give you short-term relief or a feeling of hope or in the short term make the pain better, but in the long term, life's getting worse you know you're not coming back telling me that your life's getting better it's getting worse mm -hmm. so uh, the, the same with an anxiety disorder it's like let's have a look at all the things you tried doing to get rid of anxiety you've tried Valium you've tried drugs you've tried alcohol you've tried uh, positive thinking you've been to different doctors different therapists you've tried avoiding all the situations that trigger anxiety you've tried hiding from the world you know 
you've tried beating yourself up and giving yourself a hard time and none of this is is making life better so you know what you're doing to avoid and get rid of these painful thoughts and feelings a lot of it works in the short term you know take a dose of heroin in the short term it gives you some relief avoid a challenging situation in the short term there's some relief but in the long term it's not working and life's getting worse and it's having costs uh, and your clients who are high-end in experiential avoidance if you say to them would you say that these kind of difficult thoughts feelings emotions memories sensations are they worse now than they were five years ago will almost always tell you yes they're worse not better so you've been trying hard i say to clients no one can call you lazy you have worked really hard to avoid this pain uh, and i say no one can call you stupid most of what you've done is widely recommended by psychologists and doctors and health professionals and friends and family and oprah winfrey you know yes. uh, and uh, um but it's not working to give you the life you want. It's not working to give you a meaningful life. So are you open to something different? Are you open to something radically different to everything else you've ever tried? Um, and uh, so that takes a little bit of time to do that, you know, um, and then, uh, you know, if you only got 10 or 15 minutes, you probably would say, well, okay, next, next time you come in we'll look at doing something different but between now and next time uh, i just want you to notice all the different ways you're trying to avoid and escape and distract yourself and notice if it's making your life better or worse notice if these are towards moves that are taking you towards the life you want or away moves that are actually making it worse um, but if you have got time then the the first kind of opening up skill I would teach is uh, is really learning how to the technical term for this is diffusion learning how to diffuse from difficult thoughts um, because you can teach this pretty quickly so wanna um, to really uh, demonstrate this I'll ask your listeners just bring to mind um, a, a difficult uh, let's let's just use a negative self-judgment so um, we've all got multiple versions of the I'm not good enough story. Uh, you know, if you haven't, then you're suffering from narcissistic personality disorder. So um, uh, even actually, I mean, even clients with narcissistic personality disorder have the not good enough story, but they're, they're desperately clinging to I'm wonderful to try to keep it at bay. So, um, uh, you know, and the I'm not good enough story starts young. Uh, it's there's an evolutionary basis to this you know if you if you want to survive you've got to fit in with the group um, you know if you go back to uh, Stone Age person okay, uh, you know then um, at that point in evolutionary history uh, 200,000 years ago when Homo sapiens appears in the fossil record we have the same basic needs as every other uh, animal on the land, uh, food, water, shelter, and sex. Um, and none of those things is important if you get killed. So the number one job of the evolving human mind uh, that it's got to do better than any other job is to stop you getting killed. So how does it do that? It scans for danger, predicts danger, anticipates danger. So if there ever was a caveman or cavewoman that wasn't really good at spotting danger or predicting danger, they just didn't live very long. Um, you know, that wasn't the one you evolved from. <laughs> and so your mind has evolved to think negatively. And one of the things that is uh, essential to survive is that you fit in with the group. So how does your mind ensure that? It compares you to every other member of the group. Am I fitting in? Am I doing the right thing? Am I contributing enough? Am I following the rules? 
Am I doing anything that might get me thrown out, rejected? No. The problem is in the modern era, the group is massive. You know, you know, back then in caveman days, it was a few people, but now you can compare yourself to people all over the planet, fictitious characters in books and movies. Your mind is so sophisticated, it can conjure up an ideal of who you want to be and compare you to that. And, and how long will you measure up to that for? So the I'm not good enough story starts young in just about everyone it starts in childhood, even if you had the most wonderful childhood. Um, and uh, we've all got multiple versions of it. You know, some of the versions that I have is uh, I'm old, I'm fat, I'm stupid, I'm incompetent, I'm a hypocrite, I'm a fraud, I'm an imposter, I'm a lousy father, I'm boring, I don't fit in, I'm kind of too selfish, uh, I'm lazy, I'm workaholic, uh, I'm too aggressive, I'm too passive. <laughs> you can't please this this mind in our head. It's got so many things to kind of, and I usually kind of share this list of negative self-judgments when I, I run workshops like the one I've been running earlier today. And then I say, you know, hands up if you have virtually all of those uh, stories yourself and almost every hand in the room goes up. And so then I say, well, you know, you guys, you're all psychologists, doctors, therapists, shouldn't you have eliminated all of these negative stories, you know? And if you can't eliminate your own, isn't it crazy trying to teach your clients or patients to eliminate theirs? So let's start from a place of openness and authenticity. And in the ACT approach, you know, a phrase we use a lot is your mind is a lot like my mind. The things your mind says to you are so similar to the things my mind says to me. And, and the, the look of relief on clients' faces is like, you, but you're a doctor, you're a therapist, you know. Um, uh, yeah, and I've got a mind that's evolved like yours. It's evolved to think negatively. And, you know, um, so what I'll do is I'll ask your listeners to bring to mind a, a nasty version of the not good enough story that, that's kind of hooking them at the moment, that at times they get hooked by this story, that it, when you get hooked by it, it pulls you back or brings you down or pulls you into self-defeating uh, away moves. And in a moment, I'm going to ask your listeners to, um, so again, make sure you're not driving a car or operating heavy machinery. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, so if you're in a safe place where you can do this and give it your full attention, then uh, bring to mind a nasty negative self-judgment and buy into it for, when I say go, buy into it for about 15 seconds. I want you to buy into it, believe it as much as you can. I do not want you to challenge it or dispute it or try and prove it false or push it away or replace it with a positive thought. I want you to actually buy into it, let it hook you, let it pull you in. And then um, we'll, we'll do 10 seconds because it's a podcast. And then after 10 seconds, I'm going to take you through a little unhooking or diffusion technique. So if you're willing to do this now, listeners, um, and, and if it's safe to do so, close your eyes. And starting now, buy into a nasty negative self-judgment. Uh, I'm fat. I'm stupid. I'm not smart enough. I'm a lousy GP. I'm a lousy therapist. You know, buying into it. Get all caught up in it. Really believe it. Let it hook you. Get pulled into it. Now, silently replay that thought with these words in front. I am having the thought that. So, I'm having the thought that I'm incompetent. 
Now replay it again. Um, I notice the phrase is a bit longer this time. The phrase is, I notice I'm having the thought that. I notice I'm having the thought that I'm not smart enough. So what happened as you did that? Yeah. Did you feel a bit unhooked from it? A little bit of distance from it? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. ACT was originally called Comprehensive Distancing. Um, uh, not a very exciting name. I'm glad they changed it. <laughs> but yeah, so most people will get an instant sense of distance or separation or detachment uh, or unhooking, or the technical name is diffusion uh, from the thought uh, that allows you then to kind of... That's the first little step in opening up. I can see my thought for what it is. Uh, it's a thought. I can allow it to be there. I don't have to fight with it or run from it. Um, now there's over 200 different diffusion techniques written about. Some of them are much longer and much more complex, but that's probably the simplest and easiest one there is. Um, and so, you know, you can ask your patient or client to practice that between now and next time I see you. Uh, there's going to be lots of times your mind hooks you with that not good enough story. Um, now, the moment you realize you've been hooked, acknowledge it, drop an anchor, push your feet into the floor, come back, get present. Uh, and if you're still kind of hooked by it, use that little phrase, I'm having the thought that, and kind of, and if necessary, I notice I'm having the thought that to help you really unhook. And of course, this doesn't, this is not a way to make it go away, and it's not a way to make you feel good, and it's not a way to control your feelings, it's a way to unhook, uh, open up, make room for your experience. Why? So that you can do what matters and be present, live your values and engage in life. Excellent. That's a really powerful strategy and relatively sim simple. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the nice things I like about ACT uh, is that you can do it very simply. I mean, there are really complex interventions that you can take up large chunks of a therapy session, but there's all these really brief little things that you can do, and particularly, you know, as a GP in a short space of time uh, that you can do these kind of things. So, Russ, if our listeners were wanting to become learners mm. of ACT, where, where can we recommend they go? Well, there's lots of uh, uh, great ACT training and books around the world, so, you know, I, I, I should probably uh, <laughs> take the self-serving approach and tell my own ones. Um, uh, but there are many, many alternatives to mine. But obviously, uh, you know, the, my best-known book is The Happiness Trap, but I've also written a, a very popular textbook called ACT Made Simple. Um, and uh, I also have online training courses which are suitable for all health practitioners uh, from GPs to coaches to nurses to counsellors. Uh, so the website is imlearningact.com um, and uh, there's a, a range of different courses from beginners courses to advanced courses where people can uh, see videos of therapy sessions and um, you know kind of learn the nuts and bolts of, of how to do this there's lots of live workshops uh, that I run predominantly in Australia I'm, I'm in New Zealand at the moment uh, recording this with you but uh, but mostly uh, Australia and I have a, another website for that which is um, actmindfully.com.au. So just to conclude this podcast, what would your take-home messages be for our listeners today? Well, I think the take-home messages would be one, uh, you know, um, be present. It's easy to say, not so easy to do, but ask yourself, am I present? Am I engaged? Am I focused? And if not, bring your attention to what's important. Is what's important that story in your head or is it the person in front of you? I think... Um, 
another take home message is, is open up. Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, if you're gonna live a full human life, you're gonna feel the full range of emotions. So let's learn how to open up and make room for those. Um, and do what matters, um, you know, let your values guide you. Uh, what's important here, what matters? Very often we get pushed around by our thoughts and feelings rather than letting our values guide us. Uh, and you know, the final sentence of my book, The Happiness Trap, is um, life gives most to those who make the most of what life gives. So, you know, life gives most to those who make the most of what life gives. There's lots of stuff here in the present moment. Um, and uh, one of my favorite, so Stephen Hayes, the guy who created ACT, one of my favorite Steve Hayes sayings is, there is as much life in a moment of pain as in a moment of joy. You know, uh, so in each moment, whether it's full of pain or joy or both, there's a moment of life. Let's live that, make the most of it. Thank you, Russ. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. If you're a New Zealand practitioner and would like to claim CPD points for listening to this podcast, please fill in a reflection of learning form found at our website, goodfellowunit.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>